Smarter Manufacturing, the podcast where we solve the manufacturing equation, connecting materials, processes, systems, and talent for a smarter manufacturing future. The podcast is brought to you by Lyft, the Detroit-based Department of Defense-supported nonprofit public-private partnership that's driving American manufacturing into the future through technology and talent development. Join us at lyft.technology. Welcome back to another edition of Smarter Manufacturing. My name is Joe Steele. I'm the Senior Director of Communications and Legislative Affairs with Lyft, the National Manufacturing Innovation Institute where manufacturing technology and talent matter. Uh, today, we are glad to uh, welcome Paul Perkins, uh, President of Amatrol, a longtime uh, partner of Lyft and a recent member of Lyft. So Paul, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Joe. Thank you for having me. We certainly appreciate uh, appreciate having you a partner for uh, for a number of years now. But I want to take a step back first and learn a little bit more for our listeners about Amatrol itself. Um, you guys are well known in the manufacturing education community around the country. Everywhere you go, community colleges, other training facilities, you see Amatrol equipment. Uh, once you know it, you know it. Uh, and so, tell us a little bit about about your about Amatrol and how you got to be where you are now. Well, I'd be pleased to, Joe. Uh, Amatrol is a manufacturer of learning systems for technical education. And we've been in business about 40 years now. We're a family-owned company. I'm actually the second generation, and we just had the third generation uh, join the company a few years ago. So there's been a lot of stability in our operations. And yeah, we're based... Yeah, thank you. And and we're based in Jeffersonville, Indiana, which is a, a, t a small town that's uh, just across the state line from Louisville, Kentucky. And that's where our headquarters is. And uh, one of our manufacturing operations, our largest one is located there. And then we also have two subsidiaries uh, in one in New Jersey, one in Texas that are both manufacturing operations as well. So we manufacture across uh, those three sites uh, where everything that we make is made here in the United States, which I'm very proud of. And, mm -hmm. and, and we ha actually have two elements to our business. One is we manufacture training workstations for teaching technical skills. And examples of those would be training stations for te teaching electronics or fluid power, HVAC, motor control, even solar energy and wind. And, and then we actually build complete uh, factory systems that uh, we have a smart teaching factory that has industry 4.0 technologies that we build that actually manufactures a product except that it's for education and so we make about a thousand different types of training workstations so it's a huge uh, variety uh, uh, across the three locations that we have and then we also have a second major part of our business that is involved in developing curriculum which is done in an interactive multimedia or e-learning format. So we have a, a very large staff of people uh, that write the uh, technical materials, the, essentially the textbook, and they uh, develop the hands-on skills that go with the workstations, but they also develop simulations and other types of interactive multimedia technologies so that the e-learning can be used as an independent element as well as a complement to uh, the workstation. And, the people that we uh, that we serve really are trying to prepare people for three different industries. Uh, primarily, advanced manufacturing is one. Uh, distribution or the uh, supply chain automation world is the second one, and then power generation, which can include renewable energy as well as fossil fuel, 
uh, we, we do a lot of work with uh, serving uh, uh, everything from uh, training for people that are pulling uh, materials out of the ground to the people actually delivering electricity uh, to the customer at the, uh, at the end result. Uh, examples of clients that we work with on the industrial side, uh, we work with a lot of different types of Fortune 500 companies, Amazon, Target, Nestle, Ford, Honda, General Mills, a lot of uh, companies like that. And then we work with thousands of uh, colleges and high schools. And mm -hmm. we're today, we, we are, as you pointed out earlier, uh, you can see our products in all 50 states uh, in many, many colleges and high schools. We also work in 53 foreign countries. And a few years ago, mm -hmm. we received a actually an award from the US Department of Commerce for outstanding success in exports. So we hear a lot about companies having to import products from other uh, countries today. And, and uh, we've certainly been working hard ourselves to try and uh, send some products uh, back the other way and, and certainly having some success with that. Wow, that is, uh, that is quite the uh, resume and congratulations on, on, that, uh, on that growth. But uh, I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys weren't always involved in the training space. How did that change come about and how long, uh, how long ago did that, did that transition happen? Well, that's a great question, Joe. We actually started in 1965 as an industrial automation company. And uh, my father, uh, Don, and, and uh, my mom, Bobby, uh, uh, were, uh, uh, you know, started that company. My dad came out of the aerospace industry. My mother mm -hmm. was a financial person, as it seems like almost all small companies. The wife controls the money. And, uh, and the husband actually, uh, you know, builds something or does right. something. Although I'd say today we probably uh, see it uh, flipped around uh, a lot more often, but it seemed like in the, you know, back in that era, that was a very common uh, partnership. And my parents really did have a phenomenal uh, partnership with each other that has uh, served uh, us well and certainly been a model uh, for, uh, you know, through, for our family going forward. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so they started out, he came out of the aerospace industry designing uh, various types of control systems for uh, the, uh, you know, for uh, Westinghouse, McDonnell Douglas, other people building aer aerospace uh, technology and realized that general industry was uh, starting to apply some of that same technology. And, and, uh, and he uh, decided to start a company to be a, both a consulting company and a custom machine builder. So we were building for lots of different kinds of industries. And what we learned working with these various companies is that that technology was not their greatest challenge. It was workforce development. So even hmm. back in the 60s, workforce right. development was was a, a great need. And, uh, and he got involved uh, initially just trying to help his clients be more successful and uh, providing training to their people and 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 it really sparked a passion in him and he realized that this was something that had a need that went far beyond just working with a few individual clients and and that it was really a global need and and for him it was an opportunity to continue to uh, to explore his his uh, interest in technology but also combine it uh, with uh, his interest, his passion for helping people. And he was always very strongly involved in volunteerism and the community. And, and this just seemed like the, the perfect combination to go help people in training and help people have a better life and be able to do it through teaching them about technology. It's amazing uh, how uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. You mentioned this was recognition in the 60s and, and the advanced manufacturing need for, you know, 
workers with the skills and abilities to to work with the technology and and here we are in 2021 and we're still uh facing that skills gap issue that you are helping uh, us solve as a as a national manufacturing innovation institute um Excellent. so i wanted to 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 get back so you i mentioned you have been a long time um a partner of lyft and we recently became a full-fledged member so we're very happy to uh to have you on board as as uh as that and you were recently uh provided with the Brilliance Award, one of our inaugural uh, Insight Awards that we, uh, we just announced as an institute for your work uh, in helping our talent uh, side of the house, our learning innovations for tomorrow program. Uh, so how did this relationship with, with Lyft and the National Manufacturing Innovation Institute um, get underway? How did you come in connection with, with us and, and wanna help us solve that challenge across the nation? Well, it actually started, the connection to Lyft actually started uh, very early on when Lyft was first uh, created uh, and, uh, and they uh, uh, had a grant to uh, work with about five Midwestern states and, and uh, set up uh, some advisory committees in each state. Mm -hmm. And I actually ended up being selected by our state to be on the advisory committee. So I, I started there uh, right. and, uh, and, and uh, got to know the organization and certainly had a, a very high respect for uh, the work that it, it is doing and, and uh, certainly that it did then and, and is continuing to do today. And I, and I think the next stage in our relationship uh, developed when Emily DeRocco was chosen as the, uh, the workforce development uh, leader for Lyft. And, and mm -hmm. of course, as many of, of the audience might know, she's a former assistant secretary of labor. And, and, uh, and so she really has a, a, a tremendous uh, vision of of what uh, workforce development, uh, you know, should be and and how to get there, and and she uh, provided not only leadership for Lyft, but really all the manufacturing USA institutes around the country. But I knew her when she was at Department of Labor, and when she connected with Lyft and saw that I was on the advisory committee, we we started a, a dialogue, and and uh, she had this vision that there was a need to try and help veterans get into mm -hmm. the civilian workforce and recognizing that a lot of these vets have a lot of skills, but they don't always easily, it's not easily communicated to the civilian uh, industry uh, what they actually know. And, and, and so she had this idea that couldn't we create a, a program that would uh, accelerate the learning and take advantage of what people know and have learned through the military and then uh, have them uh, fill in whatever gaps that they had to be suitable for the civilian workforce uh, opportunity and have a credential that would prove it, some type of civilian credential. And that's really what uh, turned into a program called Operation Next, uh, which Lyft is uh, today having tremendous success with. And, and, uh, and that's exactly what we did. We actually created three programs, one in industrial maintenance, one in CNC, operations and then a third one in welding and now we've brought on robotics and and uh, in the programs were first piloted at fort campbell which is one of the largest installations in the country down in the on the tennessee uh, kentucky border and they had a lot of success with it there and it uh, caused the department of defense to uh, offer another grant up to uh, put it in 12 other locations around the country which we're now working on mm -hmm. and then also the uh, uh, NIST, uh, National Institutes for Standards and Technology, gave Lyft another, as you well know, another grant to take Operation Next into the civilian workforce because they recognize that when people are out of work, they often have the same requirements that 
uh, that, that the uh, veterans do. They, they have skills and they really have a very short time to try and acquire whatever additional skills they need to be successful. And that was a perfect fit for, for Operation Next. So what we did is we created the e-learning and, uh, and all the, the online activities so that people could learn anywhere, anytime and have a lot of flexibility. And then we help facilitate connecting the various spaces with community colleges in the area and setting up a hands-on program that would be an open entry, open exit program. So they could do their hands-on, but do it in a flexible way. And, and I have to say that Lyft has just been a, a, a tremendous partner in this effort. Uh, we've certainly put a lot of work into making it successful, but we, uh, you know, but there was the coordination and the engagement that and, and project manage that, management that Lyft brought to make all these uh, sites successful, uh, uh, I think uh, had it not been there, it would have been, uh, uh, you know, much more uh, of a challenge. And and you guys have just done a great job, which is, uh, I think, one of the reasons why we value the partnership so much. Yeah, well, thank you. And you, uh, you know, the program sounds like you know the program better than anyone at Lyft does. So <laughs> thank you for that uh, recap. And it's obviously one of the programs that we're most proud of. Uh, you mentioned the, the pilot at Fort Campbell that was successful, the ex expansion that's being funded by the Department of Defense. It is available at the Florida National Guard and the Michigan National Guard. And we're, we're working on a few more uh, announcements with that expansion still this year. COVID slowed us down a little bit, but hopefully we'll get the ball back rolling on, a, on another uh, few expansions as part of that, um, uh, that funding from the, from the DOD. But a question for you as it relates to uh, your training and the curriculum you provide, did you have to make any specific tweaks to it or tailor any of the products to fit what service members have experienced, have experienced uh, what they know, what they need to know heading into the advanced manufacturing world? Was that a unique audience for you? No, not really. I think it fit very well with, with the uh, audiences that we've been dealing with. And I think partly because We've been working in both the industry uh, training area for a very long time and in the public education area. So we've been working with people who come from a variety of walks of life, and and uh, and it's what I think. I think one of the keys to making it successful was was using a hybrid learning model so that students could work uh, in a uh, individualized type fashion. So some people need you know, get it faster or maybe need to uh, get the learning at a different time of day and, uh, and just making it as flexible as possible. It's one of the things we realized up front that, that was going to be a, a need with the veterans is because they're, mm. even when they're in their last six months, they're oftentimes still on active, you know, they're, they're doing work on the base and, and, uh, and they all have different schedules. But I, I think uh, the, the uh, you know, the key is, is getting them in and getting them out as quickly mm -hmm. as possible and taking advantage of their uh, their skill sets that they already have and not having them have to go through material that they've maybe they already have mastered. And we actually created a, an assessment system uh, uh, prior to developing this project that we call e-assessment. And it mm -hmm. specifically looks at uh, through a, a pretest, what skills does somebody already have and and then I and then actually creates a customized learning pl uh, plan, and so that's something that, uh, that that is also part of the program. Yeah, and so those for those who who don't know, I mean, Operation Next, the pilot at Fort Campbell, and one of the reasons why it was deemed successful because more than ninety percent of the folks that graduated were immediately um, taken up into industry jobs, which was the goal. 
to help them, you know, immediately transition into, you know, their next operation, right? Their, uh, their, their civilian career. There are some folks that decided to continue their education. Some folks wanted to take a break, but, but uh, the vast, vast majority were, were taken up into industry positions immediately. So it, it is a success and, and, and thank you for, for all of your work and, and getting, that, getting that done. But you're also uh, part of a, another anchor uh, program that Lyft has, which is kind of going further earlier in the learning continuum uh, for students, which is our Ignite Mastering Manufacturing curriculum that is mostly aimed at high school students, but you can talk about that a little bit as you help develop the curriculum, but really to expose those students to the world of advanced manufacturing so they can see it as a potential future career down the road, whether they want to graduate from high school and go immediately into the workforce or they want to graduate from high school and then move on to a college or university to continue their education in advanced manufacturing. So can you take us through that process of, of um, the curriculum development or, or taking that, uh, what you normally do and, and, um, and make it available and accessible and digestible for uh, you know, students that are younger? I'd love to, uh, Joe. So that was another conversation that developed after Operation Next got off the ground and was having a lot of success is, you know, what other types of populations are we not reaching today that we need to in order to try and supply all the needs of, you know, particularly advanced manufacturing, but any industry today and, and, and the high school students, the youth pipeline has been long recognized that we do not have a, a large enough flow of students coming through uh, these, uh, the high school that are choosing advanced manufacturing as a career. So we needed to do something about it. And as it turned out, Amatrol has been doing a lot of work in this space for many years. And we've actually had a, a lot of successful programs around the country. But I think we also realized through those experiences is that there was an opportunity uh, to take it up a notch. And one of the places where we really thought was a, a gap is that, that high schools if were being very successful when they had a teacher who was, uh, was, ex was really invested in the program and wanted to be a leader. And, and usually that teacher was somebody who would engage the community. And when they engaged the community, uh, the local industries and got them involved, those programs went really well. But a lot of high schools were, mm -hmm. were not as, uh, as keen to go out and engage in industry. And so that was the conversation with the Lyft leadership that took place was, is, well, how can we engage industry better? And maybe here's an opportunity, you know, to take what Amatrol's already been doing, take it up a notch and combine some of the elements of uh, some of the, some of the, uh, the capabilities of, of Lyft. And, and the way that that materialized uh, was to come up with this idea for this, for, for the Ignite program and the Ignite program actually involves a combination of students working with really cool hands-on activities and using e-learning and simulations, but also connecting with, uh, with local industry and where possible connecting with one of the Manufacturing USA institutes. And so uh, uh, we have uh, schools, of course, in the Detroit area that are connecting with Lyft and we have uh, the same uh, happening in Chicago and then in Youngstown. Ohio at two of the other manufacturing institutes. And that came about through a grant that, uh, that we uh, wrote to the Department of Defense to, uh, to fund the, the idea of this, this uh, comprehensive updated program. And uh, they gave funding to, uh, to, uh, uh, to do work on that and to 
put uh, to develop actually custom projects that, that connected with the themes of these different manufacturing institutes. So we've got a really cool drone project that involves lightweight materials uh, and, and additive right, manufacturing, right. which is the Youngstown uh, Institute. And we've got cybersecurity and some other cool projects. And, uh, and, and, uh, and so now we're, we're pushing the, uh, you know, the program out even beyond where the institutes are located, but with that same model where it's an industry and, and, uh, and, and local education uh, system collaboration. And I think that's one of the keys to making these uh, youth programs successful. But along with that is that you've got to make this stuff exciting. And I think that's uh, also what we've spent a lot of time thinking about is, is and so the students are working with Industry 4.0 technology at the high school level and it's robotics and it's smart sensors and additive manufacturing and lots of other cool technology. So there's a lot of hands-on, there's a lot of project work, and then a lot of uh, the learning is being supplied in an interactive multimedia format, which fits very well with the, you know, with the way youth uh, prefer to learn today. Yeah, I think it was right before the pandemic struck is when we announced that uh, we were working with Amatrol to roll out Ignite across the country to uh, to high schools and and uh, you know having success still. It's in a number of states uh, now, which is which is great to see. So, um, have you seen? Uh, you mentioned there's a e-learning aspect uh, of it. Have you seen uh, increase in in interest in in the virtual side simply because of where we've been the last year plus? Well, no question. And, and fortunately, we've been doing work in uh, interactive uh, learning for a long time and specifically yeah. in the area of simulations because mm -hmm. uh, we, we recognize that even during normal times, simulations have a lot of value because schools very often cannot afford uh, a lot of uh, uh, du a duplication of equipment. So in the old days, they might teach electronics and have 20 stations and everybody gets on their own station. Today, right. it, it's still 20 stations, but it's 20 different things or two of 10 different things. And, and we recognize that simulation was an important tool to augment, augment the, you know, to be able to provide a, a hands-on element uh, to, to augment the, the equipment. And thankfully, when COVID came along, it was the perfect uh, uh, means to be be able to keep uh, hands-on learning going because students right. couldn't get into the labs and they were able to use our, our virtual learning. So we, we've been a believer in it for a long time, albeit it was being driven by some different factors than, uh, than we see today. And I, I would say that even as good as virtual learning can be, and there's a lot of different modes that are starting to be applied with uh, you know VR and AR and, and other things, uh, it's still important to have hands-on with real devices. Uh, people aren't going to master their skills totally uh, doing it in a virtual world, but they can save a whole lot of time if they're using uh, the combination of the two and they can also uh, have a lab that uh, where they can make their, their uh, dollars for, for equipment go a lot further. Yeah, I mean, we were, uh, uh, we were happy to have students in our Lyft Learning Lab, uh, which is chock full of Amatrol equipment, participate in the Ignite uh, curriculum. And then lo and behold, COVID struck, so we had to shut down the lab. But luckily, the students have been able to still participate via the, the simulations virtually. Um, as you said, still not quite the same as, as hands-on, but still getting some of that experience. Uh, you mentioned uh, before that we needed to make this... Uh, this uh, you know education process exciting, and you mentioned AR and VR and all the different things in between. So one more question for you: Just wanted to, what is next? How do we how do we 
because you know we mentioned in the 60s we're, we're still dealing with the skills gap and trying to get folks trained in advanced manufacturing here we are uh, in 2021 dealing with the same thing so how do we take that next step how do we make it more exciting and accessible to to people so they do uh, look at advanced manufacturing as that career and we close that uh, skills gap which is the yeah. goal well I think a lot of good work is is being done I can say that that certainly uh, when I came into the uh, world of uh, technical education in the early 80s uh, and uh, and I had worked in industry uh, before that, and then and then uh, and was in college. Uh, when I first came into in, into the uh, started working with with schools uh, uh, that, that were teaching technical education, they all felt that they were not getting the attention from the their administration. They didn't have the respect in the community. Taking you know going down these skilled uh, uh, routes uh, for for an education was sort of a second choice, and I, and I tell you, it's amazing how how uh, much that has changed. And I think uh, the value that I see that people are placing on career technical education has just uh, grown tremendously. And you know, it's still got. Uh, I think uh, uh, it still has more progress to be made but we're on a much better path today. And, and I really think it's only been maybe in the last six, seven, eight years that, uh, that we've really turned the corner in a meaningful way. We've had a lot of people talking about it for a long time, but not a lot of doing. And I, I'm starting to see that people are really, uh, really doing. And I think part of it is, is industry. Industry has run dry on these people and the shortage has gotten so acute that they have, it's caused them to, one, to realize that they can't just expect education to, uh, to be given a directive and then go off and do it. They've got to get engaged and it's got to be a partnership, not necessarily right. giving money to them, but they've got to be engaged with ideas, with support, verbal support and community support. And sometimes it is a financial investment, but more often than not, it's more the partnership of, of what direction are we going to, do we need to go in here? And, uh, and, and I think we're, you know, we're starting to see a lot more students that are, are uh, turning the corner here. We're also seeing a much better connection between secondary and post-secondary education. Mm -hmm. And so people are seeing that these technical skills are really college level, they're college. It, it's a college uh, path. It's just a different college path than maybe getting a degree in history. And, uh, and people are seeing that these jobs certainly pay well. And they can lead on to, uh, you know, certainly uh, to going on to uh, four-year programs if people want to want to do that. And and uh, I think that you know right now the rapid advance to technology is just happening so quickly that companies they have to have a lifeline right now. And I think that they're seeing that it, you know we are all in it together. Just like COVID is uh, has brought a lot of people uh, uh, together to solve the problem. I think that that the rapid advance of technology is receiving sort of a, a similar uh, a collaboration and the worker shortage, you know, is, is really creating some interesting dynamics. You know, certainly one is, is we've got to figure out how to train people very quickly. That's one. Another one is, is that it's being amplified because companies are saying, well, even no matter how, how quickly we train them, we've still got to have people out there you know, the next day doing this work and we can't get them ready soon enough. And so they're automating much more quickly. And so the advance of automation has has picked up dramatically uh, in the last uh, couple of years. And that's just creating the need for even more uh, technical uh, jobs. So, you know, the companies that I think that, you know, that we're working with today, 
they're looking for speed uh, of, of training, flexibility, ability to customize. You know, they they need to they need to target what they what they need now, and then to be able to continue that learning uh, process, uh, be, mainly because they've got to go take what they learn now and put it to work right away because they've got production uh, to meet. Right. And if you think about it, it takes us back to some of the same things that we were trying to do with Operation Next. We needed to, uh, we needed to target the learning so that we got them through quickly. In that case, they were being uh, released into the civilian workforce in a very short period of time. In this case here, they're already in the civilian workforce, but they've got to go do this other job as well as trying, uh, trying to learn. And I think that's the thing that we're seeing with uh, companies. And I think we're seeing it certainly within the educational community is they're really starting to take a look at how do we become more efficient and effective uh, with our learning. So it's, it's not just about getting people in there. It, you know, 10 years ago, it was like everybody's got to get an associate's degree. And, right. uh, and now we've gone to the other end of the spectrum that we need micro credentials and badges. And, 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 and it's not that all of that doesn't, you know, shouldn't accumulate into something more, but it's just looking at the fact that we've got some immediate needs that, uh, that we've got to fill. And, and if we can do that and then take steps uh, along the way to, uh, uh, to be able to combine all that learning and, and build it uh, into uh, more advanced uh, credentials, then I think that's something that has real value. Yeah, that was an awesome, awesome answer. And certainly one of the reasons why, you know, we exist as an institute is not only to uh, transition technology faster, but to make sure that the, the, that the workforce has the talent and skills to be able to work with those new technologies. And that's why we as an organization talk about the manufacturing equation, which is, you know, connecting materials, processes to systems and talent to make sure that it's all across the board and everyone is is talking to each other and, and, and marrying the educational um, system, the curriculum with the advancements in technology. So when 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 the talent arrives at the, uh, you know, at the workshop floor, uh, that they're able to 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 work with all the new innovations and companies are more confident that their 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 employees and future employees will be readily prepared and, and ready to go. Absolutely. So, well, awesome. Thank you very much, uh, Paul. I appreciate you taking some time with us uh, today on, on our on our podcast. We certainly appreciate all the work that you do. As I mentioned, you're in a number of our uh, anchor programs on the talent side of the house. So we could not be doing what we're doing as an institute without Amitrol and without your leadership. So we certainly appreciate you and appreciate your, your membership with the Institute. Well, uh, thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And, and uh, we certainly greatly appreciate the work that Lyft is doing. And I think uh, the organization is really making an impact on the community and our country. And we're just delighted to be a part of it. All right, we appreciate that, Paul. We'll see you soon. Okay, thank you. Thank you, yeah, bye-bye. For more information on Lyft and how you can become a member, visit us online at www.lyft.technology.